MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. Today, I have exclusive reporting that Pence and his staff had their office access badges deactivated the morning of the insurrection. In the middle of the night, Donald made and lost a motion for a stay on a ruling that didn't exist yet. And Steve Bannon's criminal referral will be explained by a law professor and former U.S. attorney, Joyce Vance. And finally, the January 6th committee issues additional subpoenas. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Uh, there's a helicopter. Motherfucker. I don't need any traffic reports from helicopters in my neighborhood. Okay. Everybody, happy Wednesday. I have some pretty intense breaking news exclusive to the Daily Beans that I'll be covering today. And later, Joyce Vance will join me to discuss the Bannon contempt referral and why it could be taking as much time as it is. And then, of course, well, I don't know if of course, because it's not every day. It's a rarity that the amazing Amy Carrero will be joining me for the good news. Thanks to our patrons who support the show. You become a patron, you get all of these episodes ad-free, along with the Muller She Wrote Book Club and the Muller She Wrote podcast. You get those ad-free as well for as little as $3 a month and uh, also $36 a year if you want to do that. And you can donate a one-year subscription to somebody who might not be able to swing it. And you can get your name on the waiting list to get a donated subscription. You just go to dailybeanspod.com and scroll down to the bottom of the page. Then you can find that patrons helping patrons thing. Okay, there's... This is a big story that I got today and I put out on Twitter and it has gone viral. Uh, it is trending number five right now on Twitter. So let's let's talk about it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. This lead story. It is a Daily Beans exclusive. It is not being reported anywhere else. I have not seen it anywhere in the mainstream media. We are breaking this news. Pence, his aides and his staff were locked out of their offices in the Capitol complex during the insurrection because their access badges had been deactivated the morning of the attack. And that's according to sources familiar with the incident. According to one source who spoke on the condition of anonymity due to an ongoing investigation, ongoing investigation, Pence's team huddled in a loading dock at the end bottom of a parking garage, unable to access their offices because their key cards had been deactivated and they were planning contingencies for a constitutional crisis, how to remove the president, 25th Amendment stuff. The access badges worked that morning before the mob entered the Capitol. But once Pence was removed from the chamber floor, their badges no longer worked. Access was restored later that night after the threat had subsided. Now, this whole thing about planning contingencies for a constitutional crisis, we remember Pence made some phone calls to call out the National Guard as though he were the president. That's interesting. In addition to the badges not working at their offices in the Capitol building, access had been shut off to the VP office complex and the White House during the same time frame for Pence and his staff. And that is where the new information I have ends. However, I want to remind everyone of a few publicly available details. In the book, I Alone Can Fix It by Lenning and Rucker, 
Pence refused to get into a car with the Secret Service during the attack. The Secret Service was trying to get him out of the Capitol, away from the Capitol. Pence wouldn't leave. He told Secret Service, I trust you, Tim, but you're not driving the car. If I get in that vehicle, you guys are taking off. I'm not getting in that car. So that's freaky. Additionally, in the book Peril, we learned that Pence asked Dan Quayle, Potato Dan Quayle, multiple times, over and over, if there was any way he could do what Donald wanted him to do, which would be throw out the electors in seven states. It's the Eastman memo. It's the, you know, the coup, the plan to throw out the the, the Jeffrey Clark letters to those states to send alternate slates of electors that never got sent because they were going to resign en masse from the Department of Justice. He asked Quayle over and over, "Can, can I please do this? Please, can I do this? And after, you know, four or five rebuffs, Quayle, you know, gave his final, his final, I said, no, you can't stop. Just stop thinking about this. There's no way you can do it. And Pence finally said, you don't know what position I'm in. And that is like dug into my soul when I read that a while back, when I read that reporting, you don't know the position I'm in. We thought, oh, maybe, you know, he's being pressured. Apparently he was being hung out to dry. And of course, last night on The Tonight Show with Stephen Colbert, ABC reporter Jonathan Carl told Colbert that Mike Pence is trying to block the release of official photos of, taken of him on January 6th. He saw the images while working on his new book, Betrayal, the final act of the Trump show. Quote, he was in a loading dock in an underground parking garage beneath the Capitol complex, Carl said. No place to sit, no desk, no chairs, no nothing. He was in a concrete parking garage. One photo shows Pence reacting to a tweet from Donald Trump attacking him in the middle of the siege. You can see it. It kind of looks like Pence is grimacing, Carl said, but you can never really tell. Carl asked Pence at the time if he could publish the pictures, which were taken by the official White House photographer, as part of his taxpayer-funded job. But Pence blocked their release. Those are our photos. I wonder if the archives has them. I also wonder if the archives has the card key access deactivation and activation times that would all be somewhere you can't just deactivate those things without leaving a footprint i have a feeling uh john mcintee might be involved from the presidential personnel office we'll talk about him in a little bit but speaking of jonathan carl who was on stephen colbert last night he has a new piece out in the atlantic about john mcintee and McEntee, you know, was a 29-year-old that ran the PPO. You'll remember we did a story on him in the PPO on the Mueller She Wrote podcast. This was the office where people were icing each other, which means you, you hide a Smirnoff ice and whoever finds it has to chug it. Yeah, that's what was happening in his office. McEntee and his enforcers made the disastrous last weeks of the Trump presidency possible, according to Carl. Quote, they backed the president's manic drive to overturn the election and help set the stage for the January 6th assault on the Capitol. Thanks to them, in the end, the elusive, quote, adults in the room were silenced or gone. But McEntee was there, bossing around cabinet secretaries, decapitating the civilian leadership at the Pentagon and forcing officials high and low to state their allegiance to Trump. When Trump wasn't happy with the answers he was getting from White House counsel Pat Cipollone, McEntee set up a rogue legal team. This back-channel operation played a previously unknown role in the effort to pressure Pence to overturn the vote. Just days before January 6th, McEntee sent Pence's office an absurd memo, making the case that Pence would be following Thomas Jefferson's example if he used his power to declare Trump the winner of the 2020 election. The director of the Presidential Personnel 
office is responsible for vetting and hiring everybody, including ambassadors, cabinet secretaries, top intelligence officials. McEntee had never hired anybody for anything, and now he was going to be in charge of perhaps the most important human resources department in the world. This is John Carl writing still. And of course, you know, I want to tell you, Donald told Mulvaney about hiring McEntee, and if you remember, Mulvaney advised against it pretty adamantly. McEntee's underlings, according to Carl, were for the most part comically inexperienced. He had staffed his office with very young Trump activists. He had hired his friends. He hired young women. And as one senior official in the West Wing put it to me, the most beautiful 21-year-old girls you could find and guys who would absolutely be no threat to Johnny in going after those girls. It was the Rockettes meets Dungeons and Dragons. In fact, one McEntee hire was literally a Rockette. She had performed with Radio City Music Hall's finest in the 2019 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. The only work experience listed on her resume besides a White House internship was a stint as a dance instructor. McEntee also hired Instagram influencers. Cameron Kinsey, for example, was 20 and still in college when McEntee gave her the title of external relations director. In an interview with the online publication The Conservateur, she said, only in Trump's America could I go from working in a gym to working in the White House because that's the American dream. Kinsey went on to work at a pro-Trump One America News Network after that. In October 2020, one of McEntee's top hires named White House helped the presidential personnel office write a series of memos identifying nearly two dozen Pentagon officials they thought should be fired, each outlining transgressions allegedly made against Trump. The memo on Esper, by the way, never before made public, provides remarkable insight into the degree to which McEntee's team was calling the shots. It includes bullet points outlining Esper's sins, Quote, he bars the display of the Confederate flag on military bases. He opposed the president's direction to utilize American forces to put down riots. He focused the department on Russia. He was actively pushing for diversity and inclusion and so on. The memo recommended that Esper be fired immediately after the election and replaced by Chris Miller, the then director of the National Counterterrorism Center. So... After he did what he did at the Pentagon, McEntee turned his attention to the election and the president's efforts to overturn the results. He began to provide legal advice. When White House counsel Cipollone told Trump that Pence did not have the power to overturn the election, McEntee drafted his own constitutional analysis with an assist from his own rogue legal advisors directly contradicting Cipollone and uh, every other serious expert in the country. McEntee sent the memo via text message on January 1st to Pence's chief of staff. Here it is in its entirety. Quote, Jefferson used his position as vice president to win. The Constitution sets precise requirements for the form in which the states are to submit their electoral votes. In 1801, the ballots of all states were in perfect conformity except Georgia. Georgia's submission was dramatically failed to conform to the requirements. VP Jefferson presided over the counting of the ballots as he was one of the candidates. Had the defective ballots been rejected, Jefferson would have most likely lost the election. Senate tellers told Jefferson in a loud voice that there was a problem with the Georgia ballots. Rather than investigating, Jefferson ignored the problems and announced himself the winner. This proves that the VP has, at a minimum, a substantial discretion to address issues with the electoral process. By the way, Jefferson did not discard the electoral votes, as Trump wanted Pence to do. And McEntee is named in the most recent round of subpoenas from the January 6th committee. As we know, yesterday, we learned Carrick, Stepien, Jason Miller, Mike Flynn, Angela McCollum, And John Eastman were subpoenaed. And today we learn the committee has also subpoenaed McEntee, Stephen Miller, Kaylee McEnany, Chris Liddell, and Mike Kellogg, among others. This is from NBC. In addition to McEnany, ex-officials issued subpoenas, including former White House personnel director McEntee, former deputy chief of staff Chris Liddell, and ex-vice president Mike Pence's national security advisor, 
Keith Kellogg. The other subpoena recipients are Nicholas Luna, who was the personal assistant to Trump, Cassidy Hutchinson, who was his special assistant for legislative affairs, Kenneth Klukowski, former senior counsel to Assistant Attorney General Jeffrey Clark, (laughs) Benjamin Williamson, who served as a senior advisor to White House Chief of Staff Meadows, and Molly Michael, who served as an Oval Office operations coordinator. In a statement announcing the subpoenas, the committee noted that McEnany, quote, made multiple public statements from the White House and elsewhere about purported fraud in the 2020 election. The panel said that when the first White House press conference after the 2020 election, McEnany claimed there was a very real claim or very real claims of fraud that the former president's reelection campaign was pursuing and said that mail-in voting was something that we have identified as being particularly prone to fraud. In its statement, the panel also noted that McEnany was reportedly present at times with the former president as he watched the January 6th attack. Rep. Benny Thompson, who's the chairman of the probe, said in a statement, the select committee wants to learn every detail of what went on in the White House on January 6th and the days beforehand. We need to know precisely what role the former president and his aides played in effort to stop the counting of the electoral votes, and if they were in touch with anyone outside the White House attempting to overturn the outcome of the election. And as we are waiting for a ruling in Trump's motion to enjoin or block the National Archives from handing over the materials to the January 6th committee, by the way, Reuters put out a story saying that Judge Chutkin has denied that injunction, but we haven't actually seen the ruling. So I'm not sure if Reuters has some sort of magical inside source, but we haven't seen the ruling yet. So I'm not going to go on record um, here with that yet. But despite that, waiting for that, Trump's lawyer in the middle of the night, Tuesday night, submitted a filing asking for an emergency stay to block the National Archives documents in case Judge Chuckin ruled against Trump's injunction to block this stuff. So they filed a a request for a stay based on a ruling that hadn't happened yet. 109 minutes later, which must be some kind of record, Judge Chuckin issued the following minute order. The plaintiff's emergency motion for a stay is hereby denied without prejudice. Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 62D allows temporary injunctive relief while an appeal is pending from an interlocutory or final judgment. This court has not yet entered any such interlocutory order or final judgment, and thus a request for relief under Rule 62D, which plainly requires an interlocutory order or final judgment before considering such a motion, is premature. The court intends to rule expeditiously in this matter and will consider a Rule 62D motion for a stay from the non-prevailing party, that's the loser, following our ruling, signed by Judge Tanya Chutkin. Ha <laughs> ha. All right, we'll be right back with Joyce Vance. We're going to discuss some legal-ish about the Bannon contempt referral, so stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. During the holidays, I am a meticulous gift giver. I try to find just the right present for each person on my list, something that they'll love, something that's sustainably sourced, something that's good for the planet and good for them. But honestly, the gift everyone wants is a better night's sleep. You can help with that. Bull and Branch never disappoints with the highest quality sheets, blankets, pillows, and throws. I love their throws. They make such great gifts. And their holiday packaging makes your gift look and feel very special. I'm crazy about my new Bull and Branch sheets. They're buttery soft, light, luxurious. They breathe. They're breathable. So, you know, when I got like my hot flashes, it, it helps so much. And they have this magnificent silken texture and they're transparently sourced and they produced, they're produced to a higher standard with toxin-free processes and fair trade certification. Their sheets are amazing quality at a fair price. I'm planning on gifting a set to someone special this season. 
So they'll get to enjoy them every single day and remember me when they go to sleep. Bolin Branch, is that weird? <laughs> Bolin Branch holds themselves to high standards across the board from sourcing pure organic cotton to putting workers' rights first. That's important to us here. So treat yourself and your loved ones to a new standard of bedding in the form of Bowl and Branch. Their gifts come wrapped and ready in their special holiday packaging. So order by December 19th for guaranteed delivery by Christmas. That gives you some time. But the best deals of the year are going on now until November 11th with promo code DAILYBEANS at BowlandBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word. Exclusions may apply. And today's show is also brought to you by AG. That's me, actually also Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition easy. We have stress, poor sleep, hectic schedule. I intermittently fast. That all makes it difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits. I have massive gaps in my, in my diet when, when nutrition is concerned. But AG1 by Athletic Greens is a category-leading superfood product that brings comprehensive, convenient daily nutrition to everyone. One scoop. It's tasty. It's delicious. And only one scoop of AG1. 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients. They have a multivitamin, a multimineral, probiotic, so you don't have to take a separate one of those, a green superfood blend, so you don't have to take a separate one of that, and more, all in one convenient daily serving. A special blend of high-quality, bioavailable ingredients and a scoop of AG1 work together to fill those gaps in your diet, support your energy and focus, aid with gut health and digestion, and support a healthy immune system. They effectively replace multiple products and pills with one healthy, delicious drink. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free. Uh, it's, it's all for you. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, no artificial anything, while keeping it tasting great. My favorite thing is that the research changes, and so does AG1. While most nutritional products that come to the market never evolve, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve AG1 based on the latest research. Science. Who knew? They've had 53 improvements over the last decade and counting. I highly recommend you give it a try. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D. That's great for the winter because we aren't out in the sun too much and you need it for your immune system. One-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we are joined by MSNBC legal correspondent, law professor, former U.S. attorney, amazing all-around person, Joyce Vance. Hello, Joyce. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I haven't talked to you in a while. It's nice to talk to you. It has been a while. The reason I wanted to bring you on today is you wrote a piece for MSNBC which I absolutely loved, which is about what could possibly be going on behind the scenes with the consideration to indict Bannon at the Department of Justice. And of course, we know that that was referred criminally, congressional criminal contempt to the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. And I believe Mr. Graves, who was appointed and recently confirmed, just got there last Friday. So let's talk about What could possibly be, quote unquote, taking so long? Because that seems to be what everyone's concerned about. Yeah, sure. It's a really interesting debate. And I think the framing for it, you know, AG, is this notion that we've all endured so many instances where we thought we would see accountability, thought we would see justice work only to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. And so now, to be honest, the credibility of the Justice Department is stretched very thin. And as people have watched and waited to see whether there will be a Bannon indictment in a case that many people have characterized as, oh, easy, DOJ should have been ready to indict that on the first day after a referral, people have become really concerned. And, And so I wrote simply to clarify that it's not as easy as having Congress send over that referral. 
and immediately turning around and indicting. There is, in fact, a deceptively large amount of work to be done to prepare to indict in this case. If that's the path DOJ is going to take, I hope that that is the path. And can you talk a little bit about some of this work, a lot like deceptively large amounts of work that the DOJ or the U.S. attorney in D.C. would have to go through to secure this indictment? I think you talked a little bit about you touched on three or four areas of of concern in, in your article. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it's like we all know this from our own daily lives. Tasks that look simple to people that are watching you perform them are always more complex when you're the person who's who's doing the heavy lifting. So first off, as you point out, there's a brand new U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia sworn in on Friday. He can't just immediately sit down at his desk and turn to this case. There are a lot of pieces of the puzzle that simultaneously demand his attention. For one thing, he is the U.S. attorney who is supervising all of the January 6th criminal cases. He has a lot of other matters on his plate. I'm sure that this one is near the top burner, but that to say that this may take a little bit of time just from a supervisory sort of waypoint. Next is this collection of evidence. You know, the prosecution bears the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and they have to have evidence that's admissible in court. We don't really know what's going on in this regard. It's possible that they have everything that they need just from testimony. But they may also need evidence in a form that they can only acquire through the grand jury. And that takes a little bit of time. Again, you have to authorize grand jury subpoenas, cut them. They have to be served. The people that they're served on are given a period of time to return the items that are asked for. So procedurally, that takes a little while, but it's important to have all of that admissible evidence in your possession before you indict. And, you know, having worked at U.S. attorney's offices in the past or one specifically, when you're expecting, because I, you know, I worked for the government for a long time, not at a U.S. attorney's office, but for the government. And when you're expecting a new new leadership to come in, everything sort of gets put on hold until that new person is is read in. Is it conceivable? Because we had an acting U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia. But is it conceivable they were sort of waiting for these larger decisions to go forward with some of these larger decisions, you know, waiting for for the new U.S. attorney to get there? I, I, I We do that in, in at the Department of Veterans Affairs. We did that. But those were kind of different kinds of projects. I was wondering if that sort of happens in law enforcement. The acting U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia, Channing Phillips, is an experienced, perhaps one of the most experienced people to fulfill an acting role. He has been the U.S. attorney in that office before. He has worked in the attorney general's office under Eric Holder. So I would have every confidence that he would not have hesitated to do the work and move every case in the office's portfolio as far along as possible. But if, and and obviously it's clear, unless there's a sealed indictment that hasn't been unsealed yet, it seems clear that if the decision will be made under the signature of the new U.S. attorney, that that person would want sufficient time to review the evidence, the case, the law, and to be comfortable with the indictment before they signed off on. Yeah, no, that t- that does make sense. I have a couple more quick questions for you, but I need to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Sure. Thanks, Joyce. Everybody will be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. This segment of the show is brought to you by Glamnetic. Get rid of the eyelash glue for good. Meet Glamnetic, the world's first six-magnet lash made for easy application and all-day hold. Glamnetic has sold over 500,000 pairs of lashes in 2020, so I decided to try them out for myself. 
Glamnetics magnetic eyelashes are amazing, so easy to apply. They take under a minute. No toxic glues, no yucky feelings, no sticky eyes, and no struggle. And you get up to 60 uses per lash. Unlike the glue stuff, you got to throw them away each time. So they're eco-friendly and wallet-friendly. They have 75 styles for your perfect fit from natural to full glam. You can get a different lash for every mood, every occasion. You can take their lash quiz or use their lash guide to find the style that suits you best. Plus, vegan and cruelty-free options are available. Over 500,000 happy customers can't be wrong. Plus, they have a 100% money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. They have expedited shipping and free shipping to the U.S. and Canada on orders over 30 bucks. So find out for yourself why Glamnetic Lashes are Instagram's favorite beauty hack. Go to glamnetic.com slash beans and enter promo code beans for 30% off your order. This code is only available for listeners of The Daily Beans. That's glamnetic.com slash beans and enter promo code beans at checkout for 30% off. And today's show is also brought to you by my favorite puzzle game, Best Fiends. If you want a truly fun and captivating mobile game that keeps your anxiety low but your mind sharp, You've got to try Best Fiends. I love it. It's so relaxing and it's a beautiful, the color schemes, the music. It's just awesome. It's my favorite match three style game by far as well. The rest are basically just the same thing over and over, smashing different color schemes. So stop crushing candy and try something new and exciting. Best Fiends has an engaging storyline with the good guys, the fiends, and the, ba- the bad guys, the slugs. And you start out with little baby fiends and you collect more and you can power them up and use them strategically because they all have different like things that they can do. And, you know, these new fiends join the team. You solve these challenging puzzles. It's, it's strategery, my friends, strategery. With Best Fiends, you get an action-packed adventure and a brain-boosting puzzle game all at once. For me, it's a nice way to take a break from daily stress and relax. You don't need the internet to play either, so I can travel with it. I'm up to level, gosh, like 3,100 or something. But they have literally thousands of levels with more added all the time. And there's always new challenges to look forward to. So whenever I need a fun break from reality or a little mental boost to keep me sharp, I love it. You can download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking with Joyce Vance. And uh, Joyce, before the break, we were talking about what could possibly be taking so long. Uh, I hate to phrase it that way. Right, because it's really not so long, right? It's Mm -hmm. been a little bit over two weeks. In DOJ time, that's not even a nanosecond. Exactly. And, you know, because we keep hearing about Rita Laval. Rita Laval in 1983 was referred. This is the last time a, con- a Congress, you know, referred someone for criminal contempt of Congress. It's different than civil contempt. It's different than inherent contempt. There's different due process situations. And everyone's like, well, that only took nine days. That took nine days. But if I'm correct, the DOJ did indict within nine days, but the DOJ also lost that case in court. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I think it may have only taken eight days. DOJ promptly returned an indictment. And then at trial, Rita Laval was able to obtain an acquittal because she explained that she'd been sick and it had been tough to get plane tickets and and the jury chose not to convict her. And that means that in that situation, DOJ indicted before they fully appreciated and evaluated what defenses were, before they fully appreciated what her defenses were. And that's an important part of the equation here because Bannon has some defenses that he can assert. They may ultimately be unavailable. Nonetheless, they require careful consideration. There will likely be an executive privilege defense. And he will also say that he relied on the advice of counsel in not appearing, which can also form the basis for a defense. I think that while neither one of those work, it is smart for prosecutors to prepare in advance to make sure that they understand the law in this jurisdiction. 
to acquire all of the facts, to speak with Bannon's lawyers if that's in the cards, just so that they're prepared to, to meet those defenses once they're offered. Yeah. And I imagine he's also going much like much like Donald has in the National Archives case. I imagine Bannon's attorney would say that they, you know, maybe they'll make a motion to dismiss because the committee has no legislative purpose. That seems to be a very big defense with with Trump and Trump allies. And in preparing for a legislative purpose argument, is it possible that the because I heard rumblings, the Department of Justice might be waiting for a ruling in the legislative purpose category before going ahead with this. So I don't think anyone at DOJ who's in the know is leaking or signaling in any way what's going on here. That's just not how this shop is operating. There is an interesting notion. You know, as you've pointed out, A.G., a lot of these issues overlap. Some very similar issues are cropping up, for instance, in the Trump case with National Archives and in some of the other subpoena issues. It's possible that we might get a judge who would write to one of these issues in a way that could apply across cases. But then, of course, that case will still have to go on appeal to the D.C. Circuit. And then there's the issue of whether or not the Supreme Court agrees to hear the case on cert. It seems unlikely. It's certainly not impossible. But it seems unlikely to me that DOJ will wait for the resolution of those matters Although there is, you know, prosecutors dislike legal risks. Prosecutors may only indict cases where they are convinced that they can both obtain and sustain on appeal a conviction. So with pending legal issues out there, there could possibly be some concerns. But those legal issues are very weak. DOJ has already taken the position that President Biden, the sitting president, that his decision on executive privilege trumps any assertion of the privilege by a former president. So it would be a little bit of a conflict for DOJ to say, well, this is the position that we're taking, but we're going to wait and see what the courts say until we indict. Yeah. And with the National Archives case, I mean, we have full agreement across all the we have like the executive uh, the <laughs> is in agreement with the National Archives, is in agreement with the Department of Justice. There's nothing conflicting here. And I know that Judge Chutkin is probably going to be coming back with a ruling soon. Although last night's like midnight (laughs) appeal for an emergency stay before she made a ruling was pretty funny. It was procedurally embarrassing as Mm -hmm. an appellate lawyer to try to appeal an order before it exists. You know, that's sort of like breaking appellate law 101. But, But let me just say this. There is a slender thread of legitimacy to the executive privilege arguments. One of the issues left open by the Supreme Court in the Nixon litigation was whether once Nixon was no longer president, whether he could assert any executive privilege. And that issue was not fully decided. I think that the outcome here turns on the balancing that's already been done by President Biden, because executive privilege is not absolute and must fail in the the face of a need for presidential information. Then, as Judge Chutkin noted in her hearing late last week, the appropriate course of action is to defer to the the assessment made by the sitting president. That seems like um, enough of a legal analysis for the criminal side of the House at DOJ to be comfortable with an indictment. Nonetheless, they really do need to, to work through all of the implications, including whether or not Bannon could possibly assert that he relied on the advice of counsel. Yep. 
Well, we will definitely keep our eyes out for what happens in the in the Chutkin case, the 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 National Archives case, and then of course, we are all on Bannon watch <laughs> as we wait to see how the Department of Justice is going to respond to the criminal referral. I appreciate your time today, Joyce. Thank you so much. Always good to see you. Thanks for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG with the beans. Did you know women are at higher risk of poor sleep quality and deprivation due to hormonal changes that disrupt circadian rhythms, which negatively impact your overall health? Uh, I did know that uh, because I have hot flashes. And this can lead to hot flashes and night sweats up in 85% of women making sleep seem impossible. And, uh, you know, if you put the cell phone down, turn the lights off, your body still needs one final trigger to let it know it's time to sleep. And this trigger is a decrease in body temperature that hacks your primal response and convinces your body it's finally bedtime. And this is where chilly sleep comes to the rescue. Their team helps people from all walks of life achieve better sleep, whether you're a new mom or you know a mom or you're going through menopause or you hate tossing and turning and turning and you don't like night sweats. Uh, Chili Sleep makes the Uller and Cube sleep systems. They are customizable, hydro-powered, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress, so they make a great gift. They provide your ideal sleep temperature. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. Women involved in the Wake Forest menopause study said Chili Sleep bedding products made a significant change to their sleep patterns and sleep ability. Some 57% saw a decrease in severity of hot flashes, and I'm one of them. Personally, you know I've had trouble falling asleep for the longest time. But I've already been sleeping so much better since I started using Chili Sleep. So head to chilisleep.com slash beans to learn more and check out a special offer available just to you, Daily Beans listeners, and only for a limited time. That's chilisleep, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com slash beans to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. And today's show is also brought to you by Allform. They bring beautiful, customizable furniture right to your door. Allform creates premium furniture tailored to meet your needs, and then they deliver to your doorstep free of charge. With no risk, it's all beautiful and amazing. You can customize your own luxury furniture using Allform. They have premium materials at a fraction of the cost. I have a three-seater sofa with whiskey-colored leather. I could never have a leather couch before, but because they have this bill stain and scratch-resistant uh, fabrics and, and leathers, it's great for pod pets. It's got walnut legs and a chaise lounge. It's very comfortable and stylish. It looks amazing. And they ship fast. Allform arrives in the mail in just three to seven days, and you can put it together with no tools. They have beautiful armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, and you can start small and add on later if you move into a bigger place or your family grows. Best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans, and Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. And we are in dire need of good news today. Joining me with for the good news is Amy Carrero, movie star extraordinaire. Hello. 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 Three days in a row. Is it three days? Two days? Three, I think. I think it's three days. But I love yeah. it. Because you're going to be off. For the next two. So, you know, this is this is it for the week. But I'm so glad that you've been able to join us while Dana is, you know, in Turks and Caicos doing doing tropical things, whatever she's doing. Getting all the tropical drinks. I'm so jealous. But I am very happy to be here to receive the good news from the listeners. If you have any good news you want to share or corrections or confessions or photos, Halloween photos, I will take them all the way up to Thanksgiving and beyond. I have no Uh borders or boundaries for my holiday photos, whether they're your pets or your kids or your parents or your grandparents or your grandkids, send them to us. Or your, you know what, your decorations too, your Halloween decorations. 
You can send them to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. You're like those people who like decorate for Christmas really early, but you're like the Halloween version. So you're just like, I will take Halloween up till July. Yeah. Or I will leave my Christmas tree up until Halloween and say that I'm being Christmas for Halloween. I do that sometimes. That's good. I like it. Thank you. All right. First up from Peter, pronouns he and him. Beans Queens. No pet costume, but a Halloween themed picture. Nonetheless, Juno, a.k.a. PJ, the monogrammed cat. Oh, yes. This cat has PJ right in his fur on his right. Was asleep on my bed looking very precious and with her front paw draped dramatically across her eyes. I love that. Uh I had taken the same photo many times before, but this time, just as I was ready to take the picture, she woke up and yawned. So now I have a photo of her looking like she is possessed. (laughs) AG and DG, I'd love if you could schedule a meetup in Toronto or excuse me, Toronto. Toronto. Love the show. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's possessed. Oh, my God. That is a (laughs) cute cat. And look at the PJ. Oh, so soft. So soft. So cute. So scary for Halloween. Next up, we have Barb Hansen. Pronounce she, her. Thank you for all that you do. I, too, am a part of the Listen to the Daily Beans before listening to Rachel Maddow's podcast group, Winky Face. Mm -hmm. Here is my submissions to Shit Kids Say. Ooh, yeah. I'm excited. Okay. My daughter, who was four at the time, my son, then six, and I were hiking in the bush, the term used by some Canadians to mean the forest. When my son announced that he had to pee. As we were in the bush, he wandered a few dozen feet away from us, turned his back, and proceeded to relieve himself. My daughter pointed at my son and said, with a sense of dismay in her voice, loudly, Mom, Reed is peeing on the environment. My son looked confused. (laughs) I nearly doubled over in laughter, hearing a four-year-old voice using the word environment in the correct context. I then recovered enough to explain to my daughter that although not a great thing for the environment, it was okay for my son to pee on the environment once in a while. (laughs) Close to 25 years later, that phrase is still alive in our family and gets trotted out a few times a year at family gatherings. As a pet tax, please find attached a picture of one of our furry roommates, our female cat, Nishto. She is enjoying the hot air spewing from my food dehydrator. The weather is getting cooler here in the Rocky Mountains, and Nishto, a fully grown yet very tiny cat, has taken to the heater, which is commonplace in the fall and winter months, as cats seek out warmth wherever they can find it, behind food dehydrators, in front of furnace vents, or under down blankets. Nishto mm-hmm. is from the Muskie language. Oh, cool. It means number three, as she was the third cat in our house when we got her. The Moose Cree people are part of a larger Cree nation, which is one of the major Algonquian-speaking native Canadian tribes whose people live in an immense area from the east of the Hudson, wow, and James Bay in northern Ontario and Quebec, west to Alberta. That's a big swath. Mm. I'm not native Canadian, although I spent some of my public school years in a a small native community in northern Ontario when my father taught school there. It was an amazing place to grow up, and I am thankful for the time that I got to spend there as those experiences helped shape me into who I became as an adult. All right. Now we got me guest. Me guest. Oh, me guest. Me guest. Translation. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Me guest. You're welcome. Baby. However you say you're welcome. For staying warm behind the food dehydrator. That's cute. That looks Aww. like a rice cooker. I need a food dehydrator. I don't know what they look like. Well, that's what they look like. I know, I need to dehydrate all the mangoes. I was going to say, that's really the only food I've had dehydrated. Oh, that's not true. I've had (laughs) strawberries, or is that like freeze-dried? Those are, that you can have like, well, are they, yeah, are they crunchy or chewy? Crunchy. Yeah, I don't know. 
Mm, we don't know. <laughs> like, like, you're like, like wait, a, I, I ask you a question. I, <laughs> <laughs> I ask you a question and then I'm like, yeah, I still don't know. Don't answer know. my question. I don't know either way. Well, thank you for that submission. That's amazing. Nishko, beautiful kitty. Mm. Next up from Anka, pronoun she and her. She has some hallelujah lyrics. I'm going to do these. We're going to split these over some time because this is like a whole song. Oh, wow. Okay. So do you want me to do every other? No, I'm just going to do, I'm going to do two verses and then we're going to see if we can get our producers, Stephanie and Kanai, to to spread these out a little bit. Oh, Because this is a whole song here and, uh, okay. you know, the earworm is, might just be too strong. So I'm just going to do two two lyrics Better here and then you can take the next one. All right. I've heard there was a secret sauce that people took. It pleased the boss, but you think you know better than them, do ya? It goes like this. You take your shots. Alpha falls, then Delta hits. The self-righteous anti-vaxxers sing hallelujah. And then the next verse is, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You used meds meant for those with hooves (laughs) till finally Delta came and overthrew ya. She knocked you down and took your air. Hospital's full, no space, nowhere. It's a cold and it's a broken, hallelujah. All right, so that's Very from good. Anka. Pronoun she and her, and I will finish this song on the next two Daily Beans. Oh, fun. <laughs> that's a fun thing to do. And she says, in lieu of pod pet pics, I will share my latest pleasant surprise when I went out to water some succulents that I recently planted. And to my surprise, was surprised by a bright yellow flower. Thanks for all you do. Look at the flowers. That's a cute little flower. Thank you, Anka. And a little decoration. Oh my gosh. Find the cat. Find the cat. Kitty. Kitty. Is that a vase or is it a cat? We don't know. (laughs) I know. Look at the flowers coming out. It's the Chiquita banana cat. Chiquita banana. Chiquita pumpkin cat. Yes. Pumpkin cat. So cool. Pumpkin. Pumpkin. Okay. Next up from Erin T. Pronouns she, her. This is more of a shit my mom says, but still cracks me up after nearly four decades because as an adult, I'm also prone to similar gaffes. When I was six, I fell face first through a glass topped coffee table oh. and cut open my chin. Oh, God. Fast forward to the small town 80s emer- 1980s emergency room where my mom is sitting in a corner and I'm laid out with my head tilted back to receive, oh, my God, the 30 to 40 stitches to repair the gash under my jawline. I was trying to be still, but my mouth was filling up with spit. So I asked the doctor, do you mind if I swallow? At which point, my mom started laughing almost (laughs) to the point of tears. Doc and nurse looked at her quizzically and hurried to explain, oh, I thought she was going to ask, do you mind if I smoke? (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could remember how the medical staff looked at her after she said that, wondering why she would even think her first grader might ask for a cigarette. I'm sure it was memorable. Pod pet tax, this is Oreo, our socially distanced fail who adopted us shortly after pandemic lockdown began in May 2020. Our neighbors adopted him as a barn cat after a year of being so skittish around people. We thought he was thought to be unadoptable. He started coming around and after some awkward negotiations, I managed to wrangle him to the vet, get him neutered, vaxxed, defleed, dewormed. He moved inside about a year ago. We found him a med combo that reduces his anxiety to manageable levels, and he is an endless source of amusement. We are still trying to integrate him into the household with two other cats who think he's fun to pick on. Anyway, how it started and how it's going. Look at that dork. He's a doofus. The first picture, he's behind like a a screen door, and now he's very comfortably, oh my God, sitting on the couch like a person. Sits like a person. Oh, so adorable. Thank you for that. Thank you for that submission, Erin. So lovely. 
Awesome. And uh, next up from Jim in uh, Albuquerque, pronouns he and him. Hey, Allison, Dana, and Amy. I know Amy is away being a superhero. Oh, she's back. Not today. Baba. I hope this finds you well and in good spirits. Thanks for your analysis of the news each day as the struggle continues. Saw a documentary on black holes. <laughs> Apparently, if something fell into one, when it reached the event horizon, the gravitational point of no return, it would look to an observer as if it was frozen there and not continuing its plunge. Mm. That's what it feels like watching Jabba the ex-president. I used to call him Jabba the Trump, but changed it out of respect for Mary Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Always seemingly about to be indicted. And another shit kids say. This was for my former, uh, I thought I just my former daughter. Former daughter. I, have, I have excommuted her or catered her for the family. <laughs> this is one from my daughter, Jessica. When she was small, she was fascinated by the tattoos on my arms and often wanted to look at them, but she could never remember the words. So she'd end up saying, Daddy, show me your tutas. <laughs> <laughs> and hand me a smoke. <laughs> Show me your tutas. And that got me some side eye in restaurants. All day. <laughs> when Inverse Daily ran an article on board games and this was featured, the Daily Beans instantly came to mind. It's called Ewe Rosenberg's Bonanza. To bean or not, not to, to bean. bean. Oh. oh, thank you so much. And I have to say, I have a lot of tutas myself. <laughs> yeah, listen, I for sure got two tutas. Any other uh, additional tutas are, you know, not for public (laughs) consumption. You just got a new tuta, as a matter of fact. I did. And it's a little hummingbird. Well, now you can't Mm -hmm. see it. Hummingbird tuta. Hummingbird with its own tutas. That's (laughs) rad. That made me laugh. I love that. Love it. Uh, There was a lot of things I couldn't pronounce when I was a kid. My dad actually wrote out a list. I have it somewhere. It's on like yellow legal pad paper Mm. from 1977 or something. Just things I would say wrong or, you know, wrongly or call things by the wrong name. Like I called grasshoppers, hoppy grasser bugs. Oh, that's great. And um, if I wanted my dad to carry something for me, I would tell him to heavy it. (gasps) And that sounds like mafia talk for something. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead and heavy it. Heavy it. Heavy this, man. Heavy Heavy this. And uh, the lawnmower, my dad had a riding lawnmower. I called it, I called it the Molon. And I mean, I just. Uh, Funny. So you inverse. Of, so I did you, could you pronounce your own name? Uh, Owie. It was Owie. Okay. Which is Allie. And it, what's great is when I went back to my house that I would, the house that I was born in, I visited in 1986, I think I was probably, I was 12 or 13 and I knocked on the door and I was like, Hey, I was, I was born here. I grew up in this house. Do you yeah. mind if I come in and take a look around? And the lady's like, are you Allie? (laughs) And I'm like, yes. And she's like, "Mm, yeah, come this way. And she takes me into the kitchen to the, what we, what we used as the phone book cabinet. It's like that one cabinet on the other side of the counter that doesn't do it. And, uh, and she opens it up and carved on the inside of the door is Allie. Oh (laughs) my God. Well, at least she was sweet about it. That's amazing. We had Allie. We had the the people who built this house, um, this woman who, you know, by the time she came over, she was like in her 90s. And and she was like, you know, I built this house with my husband. Can I come see it? And she came inside and she was not happy with the changes that had been made to the house. We didn't make them, I guess, like over time, you know, this house was built in the 50s. Yeah. And and she was non, none too pleased. So I'm glad you mm. had a good experience. Mm. Oh, the one thing I did notice is is that the house was a lot smaller than I oh, thought. Oh, yeah, for the sure. Ho- I feel like the house you grow up in seems way bigger yeah, than it is. For sure. It, you know, it was like a, I don't know, like a 1,300 square foot, like 
Saltbox Colonial, like just, you know, with, with like Sears white siding with black shutters and a red door, you know. Oh, that's kind of, that sounds uh, really sweet. But yeah, always smaller than you remember. Yep. And a shag carpet throughout. Yeah. And, 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 and not just any shag carpet. The, and, and look, I'm even talking like I'm in no, Cleveland right now. Not just any shag carpet. The best shag, shag carpet. carpet. Shag. It was uh, it it was brown in in the living room, and then it was orange in the den, and then the kitchen had this red carpet in it, and then upstairs the kitchen had a carpet in it. Yeah, carpet, the short carpet, right? And then uh, upstairs there were one, two, three, four bedrooms, and the office had bright orange carpet. The nursery had bright blue carpet. My bedroom had lime green carpet and the master bedroom had blood red Whoa. and all shag, like super Fucking long Fucking yeah, carpet. they really went for it. I appreciate a bold swing, you know? It's it's a bold, <laughs> bold swing and I appreciate it. That's probably why you have such great style now because you're like, eh, I'm not afraid to take a risk. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know that I would compare my style to whatever my parents put but together. But you know, at the, time, <laughs> at the time, I'm sure it was like a real bold move, you know, like... It sounds even it sounds bold for the even for the time. They're probably like, yeah, why? Yeah. Not? Well, my mom was a set designer, and yeah, you know, that's well, so she rad. went to school for that. She was a, she was a county clerk, but she was a you know she went to school for set design, and my dad was an artist. And but yeah, interesting, very very, very interesting. interesting. Thank you for all the good news submissions, Amy. Thanks for being with me this week thanks for a little for while me. while Dana was out. We'll see you next Thursday. Yes. Everybody, you're stuck with me until the end of the week. I'm super excited because I've got some really interesting stuff coming up. And uh, man, if I, I don't know if we could top today's news, but we'll try. And everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Amy Guerrero. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.